Exodus chapter number 8 tonight. Um, I'm excited about what the Lord is doing in our church. Uh, For those of you that attended the revival this past week, I thought uh, the Lord met with us. I thought the preacher had exactly what we needed. Um, I spent some time with him, as he uh, mentioned uh, uh, during his sermon, and, you know, he's real. Uh, There's some people that are exceedingly talented and very gifted speakers that just really don't live what they preach, and I don't believe the man we had this past week is one of them. I think he's a good man, I think he's a godly man, and I was, uh, that's why every message he spoke, spoke to me. And uh, so I hope that it was a blessing to you. And um, hopefully you won't be too let down that I'm preaching tonight. Um, But on the bright side, I like Texas teams, so uh, maybe that'll get some brownie points where he's an Atlanta fan. I like the Texas team, so maybe that'll help me out. I doubt it, though. Exodus chapter number 8 tonight, verse number 16. Verse number 16 of Exodus chapter number 8. The Bible has here a very unique passage of Scripture. It won't be very long, so please do your very best to pay attention as we read just a few short verses. Verse number 16 of chapter 8 of Exodus says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. Then the magicians said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. I want to go back and read that short little phrase there. I want you to read it with me. I'm going to read the introduction to the phrase, and then I want you to just resume with me as I move on into it. Read, this is the finger of God with me. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Gracious Heavenly Father, tonight I ask that you bless the reading and the preaching of your word. Lord, I stand up here uh, very inadequate. Uh, The thing that I'm about to do in proclaiming the truth of God is really out of my ballpark. I don't know how to do it. Uh, There's no education that I could receive to be able to do this effectively. So, Father, I pray that you empower me where I am weak. Lord, make me wise where I am foolish. Lord, make me discerning where I may get a little aggressive at times. Father, tonight, please be with the sermon and be with those people who are trying to hear from you and worship you tonight. In spirit and in truth, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I just believe that when God puts his hands on something, it's special. It's distinctive. It's unique. The other day, I was walking around my house, and my my wife and I 
uh, built our own home, so everything's relatively new. I think we built it just over two and a half years ago, so everything's pretty new. You know, there's not a lot of chipped paint or anything like that in our home. So pretty much any uh, impurities or anything like that stick out to us when we look on the wall. Well, the other day I was walking through the house, and I looked on our wall, which most of them are kind of tan color, like a sandy tan color, and um, I, I saw that there were there was kind of like a red smudge. And uh, I, at first I couldn't tell exactly what it was, but as I got closer to it, it was about knee high. And um, I think I figured out what it was. It was, uh, this is just my guess, as there was a small handprint uh, in, in, in the smudge, and it was red. So I go to Amy, and I say, Amy... Whose fingerprints are that? Is that on my wall? And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, they're about this high, and there's a smudge of what looks to be spaghetti sauce. And we both kind of had a little funny moment there, just joking about that Caitlin had taken her hands and had, had put them on our wall and, and just kind of rubbed spaghetti sauce. Now, it's all over the house. There's a a spot right there where she eats her spaghetti right on the wall. There's a spot in the corner where we used to keep her toys. There's a spot on the wall. And somehow there's a spot in the wall right in front of our toilet in our bathroom. And I don't know how that got there because that's nowhere close to the kitchen. But anyway, all over our house, you just walk through the house and you'll see these little handprints of spaghetti sauce. Now, what was it that made it to the point where I could pretty much effectively discern whose fingerprints those were on my wall. Well, it's because they were distinctively hers. They stuck out, right? It, it was a small handprint, and it was just about the right size. And so I just jokingly even made the comment to my wife, whose fingerprints are those? Knowing full well it wasn't Amy, it wasn't me, it wasn't Bailey, it was obviously Caitlin. Now, I believe this in my whole heart. When somebody has been touched by the hand of God, it will be obvious to everyone. When the life of a Christian has been radically altered by the finger of an omnipotent holy God, when he really moves in the life of a Christian, people will take note. And they won't have to say, whose handprint is that on this person? Why does this person behave so differently? No, they'll say, that's someone who's encountered Christ. That's a child of God. Well, what makes this handprint so unique? What makes God's finger so different than all the other hands that are trying to craft lives today? I want to share with you three attributes of a distinctive fingerprint of God. Three attributes of a distinctive fingerprint of God. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 17, God's fingerprints are, are unrepeatable. God's fingerprints are unrepeatable. Verse number 17, the Bible says, well, verse number 16, And the Lord said to Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land. Now, I don't think we ought to read over that phrase there. It's easy to, but let's take note of what the Bible's saying. All the dust of the land became uh, uh, lice 
where was I reading? Yeah, there we go. Throughout all the land of Egypt. So all the dust turns into lies throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice. But they could not. Now, we've kind of taken a look at this several times throughout our, uh, our sermon series here so far. But there have been several times where God does a miracle. And we can call them plagues if you would like to label them as that. But it's God's judgment upon Pharaoh for not letting Israel, Israel go. And God's hand is placed upon them. And most of the time, these plagues have not been blessings, but they've been burdens. The, the very first miracle that God actually does in the presence of Pharaoh is he tells Aaron and he tells Moses to go into Pharaoh's court. And Pharaoh was going to request some sign, like some a badge to prove that they are who they say they were. And... Uh, so they say, God says, when, when he asks for this sign, Aaron, take your rod, and I want you to cast it down in the presence of Pharaoh. Now, that's not the cool part. The cool part is what happens to the rod when it hits the ground. Do you all remember what happens? It turns into a serpent. And I just, it's, I couldn't imagine being around that when that kind of miracle takes place. And in the presence of Pharaoh... Aaron cast down the rod, and it turns into a serpent. Now, I've shared with you what I would have done in that moment, and I figure most of us would do the same. I'd have been in the next room over as soon as that thing started slithering towards me. I want no part of it. And instead of reacting to the snake like, wow, what a miracle, or even being intimidated by the serpent in the floor, Pharaoh says, magicians, come here. And the magicians take their rod. And they throw them in the floor. And I assume kind of right there in the middle of the floor with with Aaron's rod that's become a serpent. And what happens to their rod? Well, if you recall, their rods turn into serpents as well. And then the story just takes an amazing turn, right? Kind of like a Chuck Norris movie. Uh, Maybe they were wearing blue jeans too. I don't know. But what takes place next is Aaron's rod is in the middle of the room, a serpent. The other serpents that the magicians have cast down, they, they, they make this magic trick happen. And Aaron's rod does what to the magician's rod? Well, he gobbles them up. Boy, I think that would have been something else. As the snakes start fighting and Aaron's rod just goes ahead and consumes them. And I do believe there's a valuable lesson that no matter what the world may impress us with, God is already more impressive than they can ever wish to be. God's miracles are lasting. God's miracles are permanent. They're powerful. They're precious. And I do believe there's a great lesson there. And and I I do understand the significance and maybe even the reason why they would try performing this miracle. To prove to Pharaoh that that, uh, they, they have power too. Well then what happens is God sends his first plague against Pharaoh for not letting the children of Israel go. Now, the first plague is Moses and Aaron would turn the water of Egypt into blood. The entire river, all the ponds, all the water that's stored in, uh, in, in storage containers, all of it's going to be turned into blood. 
What a miracle that would have must, that must have been for everybody to see. I'm sure it was kind of gross, but it was an amazing miracle nonetheless. And then what happens next in our story is just unbelievable. And you remember what it was. The magicians looked at Pharaoh and said, I know water may be precious. I know there's a lot of thirsty people and we have a limited supply of water, but Pharaoh, watch what we can do. And they take what little water they have left, and uh, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly where they get it from, but they take whatever water they have left, and they take that water and turn it into blood. Now, for the life of me, I can't understand why they would do that miracle. Can you? I mean, water's very precious precious at this time, and they just want to prove a point. So uh, they do, in a limited supply, what God did in an amazing supply. And I do believe there's another lesson there. What the world can do in small portions, God can do in amazing portions. Then the next plague turns, uh, goes into effect, and, and frogs are everywhere. God sends frogs to, to uh, judge Israel, uh, Egypt for not letting Israel go. And, and the frogs come out of the river, which were now blood, and, and they come out. And I can just imagine how nasty, bloody frogs must be. And they take over the land. In fact, the Bible says that they're in their ovens. They're in their beds. They're everywhere, and they've overtaken everything. Well, what happens next? Well, the magicians get the bright idea, well, this is no big thing. And they, they decide that even though they've got a, a, a terrible problem on their hands, they're going to add to the problem. And they say, oh, this is no big deal, Pharaoh. We, we can make frogs. And I, I also believe there's a lesson in this story that God can do amazing things and the world tries to copy them. But they can never remove problems, only God can remove problems. And there's a strange story that every time a plague is given to Egypt, the magicians are right there to do what God is doing already. Well, now we come to our story. The, the Bible teaches us and tells us that all the dust of the land is to be turned into lice. Now, I, 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 I'm not sure if I've ever had lice. I remember at school they would always bring us in single file lines and they would take these torture devices and jab them in our skulls and they would take a, a comb which... Uh, resembled a medieval torture device, and, and they would scrape your scalp trying to check for lice. Now, I don't remember if I ever had any. I wish I had of, because then I'd got to go home. But, uh, so I don't know that much about lice, but I do know that they're very problematic. And, and in fact, they're even painful when you get them. And the Bible teaches us that all the dust in the entire land of Egypt turns into lice. Now, I've been in some of your homes, and if God turned just the little bit of dust in your house into lice, Johnson County would have a major problem. But can you imagine? All the dust in the entire land of Egypt is turned into lice. Now, here we go again. God sends judgment upon Egypt, and what do the magicians do? 
hey guys, let's get together, let's figure out how we can do this as well. Well, they've already got a problem. But the difference this time is their cheap parlor tricks aren't going to work. They finally reached their limit of knowledge. They finally reached their limit of power. And I don't believe that they had any type of power. I believe what they were doing was magic. I believe it was illusion, just sleight of hand and, and, and trying to uh, look over here and don't look at this hand as I reveal the frogs here. I don't believe they had any power, but I do believe that now we've reached their limit. And they're trying to duplicate what only God can do. You know, this world's not so different now than it was in the day of Moses. The world tries offering us many things that only God can provide. I'll give you an example. The world will try selling you happiness. They'll try saying, well, if you have this item, if you just get this, if you meet this person, if you have this relationship, if you become successful, if you are somebody, if you live this life, if you own this thing, you will be happy. And you know what? They're right. You will be happy, but you won't be joyful. You know what's the difference between joyful and happiness is, right? Joy is not dictated by circumstances. For instance, a man in Job's plight and dilemma still maintained his integrity and his joy, even when he's lost everything. But happiness will allow you to be happy when everything is good. And when you have that thing, and you know that person, and you are somebody. But as soon as those things go away, you know what else goes away? The happiness. And they offer you something that only God can truly provide. The world may provide you wealth. They say, oh, if you can get this. And I don't know if the Sunday school teachers got to it, but... If you read your Bible, the Bible's very clear that even Satan has power to give wealth. He takes Jesus up and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world in just a moment of time. And he says, all of this is in my power to give. And I can give it to whoever I want to. See, what we've associated as success can definitely be directly linked to Satan's blessing, not the Lord's. We think that successful people have. No, Successful people know the Lord. Beyond that, sure, you can keep the wealth. Sure, you can, you can have things. But you know what? Uh, the same person comes into the world naked. The same person leaves this world the very same way. doesn't matter if you're buried in your Cadillac. You know where your Cadillac stays? Buried. And what we thought is the world sells us this bill of goods that if you have this item and you get enough stuff, you'll, you'll, you'll have. But while the world provides us wealth, it'll never provide security. You notice, you want to talk to some of the millionaires that invested all their money in the stock market, and in one moment of time, every bit of their wealth is gone. In fact, most millionaires probably have filed bankruptcy at some point in their life. And, they, and we think that wealth means security. You know what wealth is? Wealth is when God, Satan looks at God and says, well, I would attack Job, but you've put a hedge of protection about him. And if you'll remove the hedge of protection, then I'll get after Job. And it was God providing security that Job's wealth never could. The world may make us think that we can be comfortable. Sometimes I... Uh, I look at these commercials with all these mattresses. How many of you have seen that commercial where 
where a woman is on one side of the bed jumping up and down and there's a glass of wine on the bed and and they're showing you that no matter what the woman does, the bed is so comfortable that it won't knock the wine over. Y'all have seen those commercials? Now, I will admit this. My wife and I did go out and we purchased a nice mattress because I enjoy sleeping. And I enjoy sleeping away from my wife, as bad as that may sound. We're not Fred and Lucy yet. But if she kicks me again, we will be. Okay? I don't want to rub up against my wife while I'm sleeping. I want to do that before I go to sleep and then go to sleep. Amen? So I I like being separate. I like having a large mattress. I like being comfortable. And uh, uh, we did go down to Mattress Firm. We bought us a nice mattress. Isn't this world selling us that we can be comfortable in hotels? We can be comfortable in this airline as opposed to this airline. We can be comfortable if we buy this luxury car. A lot of y'all are still laughing at that thing I said earlier. I mean, that's fine with me. What? Oh. I got you. Who is it? Rick, <laughs> Lucy, oh, no, all right, sorry, I was trying to uh, relate to some of you old people, but obviously, uh, okay, we can't be droid and I, no, 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 all right, so I was wrong there, whatever, but this world sells us this, hey, it's not, that wasn't in the Bible, so uh, that's okay. This world sells us this bill of goods that as long as we have this luxury car and we live in this house and we we can be comfortable, but while the world provides comfort, you know what it will never provide? Peace. Oh, you may be comfortable in your mattress, but you know what the most uncomfortable thing in the world is? Laying your head on your pillow at night knowing you're not right with God. Knowing that you don't know God and knowing that one day you'll have to go to hell because of that. This world promises a lot, and they're trying to give us a counterfeit. And that's what Satan does, is it not? He's the best counterfeiter that there's ever been. You see, God sent us a Christ. You know what the devil's going to send us? An antichrist. The devil is the best counterfeiter there's ever been. And what God gives us in amazing things, the devil tries duplicating, but he fails miserably at them. God's fingerprint can never be repeated. It's unrepeatable. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, 7, and this is just an example of that, that when God made life, he, he made Adam and Eve, but there was something distinct that he did. The Bible says, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You see, today we can make synthetic, uh, a, 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 a synthetic skin, We can even make duplicate bones, and we can have structures that resemble skeletal systems. But man will never be able to reproduce life. You know why? Because man can only do, uh, in part, what God can do in the whole. And I do believe that God's fingerprints are unrepeatable. Secondly, God's fingerprints are unmistakable. God's fingerprints are unmistakable. Verse number 19. The, Bibles come to, uh, uh, the Bible says that the magicians come to Pharaoh when they realize they can't do the miracle. Verse number 19, Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger 
of God. Now, in many Bible stories, people make excuses when God does something great, and they try to explain it away, right? That's what our world has done with this uh, beautiful creation that God's made. They've tried to explain it. I say, well, there, there's no way that the, 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 the earth could be this young, and there's no way that, that, uh, uh, that this animal... And, and they try making these phony, false accusations, saying that they're smarter than God was, and, and I just don't believe they're right. And the Bible says that they're not right, so I'm just going to believe that book and tell them to shut up. But the world tells us that, that God has... They tried dumbing his miracles down. God does amazing things, and, and they say, well, this is how it is. And I believe that these magicians were wise not to try explaining away what happened. They could not produce the miracle that God had done through Moses and through Aaron. And they come to Pharaoh, and they know it's not what Pharaoh wants to hear, right? You think Pharaoh wants to hear that he's fighting against God? You think Pharaoh's going to be overjoyed at the fact that they're weaker than the guy that he's fighting? No. But they come to Pharaoh and they say, Pharaoh, we talked a lot about this and uh, we tried our very best. But the only conclusion that we've come up with so far is this was done by the power of of the hand of God. Now, Pharaoh doesn't receive that news very well. In fact, he hardens his heart to it. But I like the fact that there was no way that they could falsify the truth. This was God's work. And no matter what anybody said about it, God was the one that did this. God's works are always unmistakable. The last trip we took to the youth conference at California, we stopped by the, uh, not the Gulf of Mexico, the Grand Canyon. And we took some boys there and, and some of the teenagers. And, and I told them, I said, guys, I've been here once before. And if you are not amazed by what you see, I'll give you $50. And, and teenagers, right? They're like, 50 bucks? Okay. And I could see it in their eyes. No, I'm just going to lie about it. And they were going to get my $50. Now, this is not betting because I had nothing to gain, okay? And I said, guys, if, if, if you're not impressed by the Grand Canyon, I'll give you $50. Oh, man, they were ecstatic. And as it took us probably 15 minutes to find it. I mean, after we had parked, we're in the Grand Canyon's parking lot. And we were lost. And I know that sounds odd. As big as it is, you think we would just happen up on it. But we got lost, and we were going to this building, and we were walking away from it. We finally come to it, and we're approaching the crest, the very top of the Grand Canyon. And we can just barely see over it, and I can see the boys approaching. And, and, and they look at each other, and they're like, oh, that ain't that big a deal. And what they didn't realize is they were only seeing about an eighth of it. And as they got, you know, about 30 feet from the bar that uh, helps you not fall over and die, they were like, oh, that ain't nothing. (laughs) Brother Andrew, get get your money ready. Once they got right here and looked down into it, they go, okay, you were right. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. 
They were amazed by what they saw. They, and what every time I've been to the Grand Canyon, this is the conclusion that everybody in my group has drawn. They think that little river did this. I mean, you look down there, and, and it looks like if you were to just spit into the Grand Canyon, it would cause rapids. I mean, the, the river down at the bottom looks just itty-bitty, and this huge, massive uh, uh, hole in the earth, and we all just kind of laugh that people could ever mistake this for eons and eons of time, when my explanation is, no, God just did it. And, and, and if God made uh, all the animals in an adult state, I, I, I think that maybe he could have made the earth in an adult state as well. And I laugh at everybody and say, no, well, it just took centuries and centuries for this river to... And I say, what? No, that's God's handiwork. You go to the Rocky Mountains and, and the sun begins to set and the, the snow is glistening on the peaks of the mountains and, and the cedar trees and the aspen trees make up the, the, the rest of the mountain. And, and you just look at that and it's, well, you understand that some earthquakes happened and they just... Really? That's the explanation you have to offer me? No, what I think is an almighty God stepped out on the ledge of nothing when there was no light, when there was nothing at all. And he said, let there be light. And then he began to form the earth. And where he said, stand here in this place, the mountains shot up. And where he said, sink there, the Grand Canyon sunk into the ground. And I just, I look at God's creation and God's handiwork and I say, what a God I serve. It's unmistakable. You know, it's also unmistakable in a Christian who has been changed by the almighty hand of God. One of the most amazing transformations in the Bible is when Saul turns to Paul. I mean, a guy who's just absolutely opposed to everything churchy, and then he turns into the guy starting churches. And I just love that. He turns to the guy killing preachers, to the best preacher around, and he's killing it while he preaches, amen? I love it. You know what Paul says? He says, if any man be in Christ, if anybody's been touched by the hand of an almighty God, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's, it's, it's radically different. It's unmistakable. There is no explanation. There's no changing it. I'm reminded in Luke chapter 8 of the maniac of Gadara where he is running around tormenting the town. Everybody hates what he's become. Everybody hates having to explain to their kids why there's a naked man running down the streets. Everybody hates going to visit their dead relatives because you know what? They're going to have to deal with old crazy bird up there living in the tombs. And sure enough, the town tries chaining him up, tries putting him in fetters, and they, he breaks out of them every time. One day, Jesus steps out from the sea, and he meets him where his footprint starts. He says, Jesus, thou son of God, what, the most high, what have, thou, what have I to do with thee? What are you doing here? What did you come here for? And before the story ends, this man who was absolutely out of his mind. The Bible says this about him. 
was seated and uh, clothed and seated at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. People didn't know how to take the change. They didn't understand how one man could have such an impact in somebody who was just violently uh, opposed to everything uh, refined and, and, and uh, special. And yet now he meets Jesus, and it didn't take centuries. It didn't take reformers unanimous. It didn't take discipleship. It didn't take any of these programs. You know what it took? Jesus. And once the man met Jesus, you know what changed? His whole world. Oh, it's just, it's unmistakable when you meet Jesus. Finally, and we're done, God's fingerprints are unexplainable. They can't be explained. Look at the simplicity of the answer that the magicians give. Now, they could have gone into describing how dust particles are approximately the same size as lice, and how they somewhat resemble each other in color and shape and, and the science of it all. But they realize the folly in that. So this is what they come up with. This is the finger of God. That's the best they had. They, they wanted to explain it further. They wanted to say how, you know, the lice, would just, they just kind of transformed. And no, they didn't even go into that. They said, simply, this is a miracle. This was God visiting us and doing something that we were unable to do. This is the finger of God. The answer reminds me of that story where the three Hebrew children are cast into the fire. And, and Nebuchadnezzar is there the whole time. In fact, he's the one that gives the order to cast those three men into the fire. In fact, he's so livid about what they've done and their opposition to bowing down to his image that he says, turn that puppy up. And they turn that furnace up and uh, they throw those men into the fire. And I love how he consults those people that are around him. And he's just looking at him. He's wanting them to burn. He's singing, burn, baby, burn. That's what he's singing. He's, that's where that came from. It's biblical. It's Greek. And, well, it'd be Hebrew, I guess, but whatever. And uh, I'm not on, on floors with Fred and Lucy tonight, amen? Well, whatever. And, uh, and uh, he's there wanting to watch him just roast for what they've done. And he looks down there and he says, hey, explain me something. That's in the Hebrew as well. Tell me, did we not cast three men into the fire? Well, they say, true. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what we did. Oh. Uh, when I look down there, I see four men loose and walking around, and the fourth has the image of the Son of God. And if you want to study it out, Son is there, and God is there. It's not plural gods, it's Son of Elohim. He full well knew what he was talking about, because the next verse he goes on to say, 
uh, the almighty God. The next verse he goes on to say, we're all going to worship their God. They can worship their God if they want to because he is the almighty God. He knew what he was saying. He looked down in that fire and he said, somebody let me in how this happened. I looked down there and I know we only cast three in there, but somebody explain to me why there's four men in the fire and one of them looks like Jesus. He's unexplainable. Nobody answered him. <laughs> they said, yeah, something's not adding up. Because God's fingerprints are unexplainable. I like how Paul describes salvation. He says it this way, thanks be unto God. Well, Paul's beautiful with words. I mean, you've read some of his writings. He, he has the, the vernacular and the vocabulary of, of a scholar. Uh, what are you going to say here, Paul? Are you going to describe it in its immense beauty? Or are you going to resound or recite some of the Psalms? What are you going to say, Paul? Thanks be unto God. We're on the edge of our seat, Paul. What are you going to say? What do we got to be thankful for, Paul? Thanks be unto God for what? His mercy, his love. What, Paul? Just explain it. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. What do you mean, Paul? Is that all you got? Why don't you just beautify it? Why don't you make it special? What do you got? Unspeakable. It's indescribable. I, 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 I try explaining it. I, I try reasoning in my mind. I, I try finding the words, but every time I get to salvation, it just uh, I'm silenced and I run out of things to say because it's just unexplainable what God does for us in salvation. This is what happens when men try to explain God. Take your Bible to Romans chapter 1. This is, without a doubt, one of the saddest scriptures in all the Bible. To me, when I look at nature, it is very obvious that God's hand is all over it. In fact, I look at beautiful animals and, and I see the Creator in them. I see how God individually made animals. I see how God individually made us distinctive and unique. And, and, and I just look at nature and it resounds to me how amazing my God is. But some people don't think that. This is what happens when people explain God away. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. The person that tells you they don't know, or they don't believe there's a God, you know the Bible says, uh, it was put in their very being. The very core of their fiber screams to them there's a creator God. The Bible says the fool hath said in his heart there is no God. It's in them. Uh, uh, that which can be known of God is in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him, well, we may not be able to see him, he's evident from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, the, the, the mountains, the, the land, the animals, the sky, the heavens, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that... When they knew God or with the information they were given about creation and that the fact that it screams there is a God, uh, because that when they knew God, 
They glorified Him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. The passage is saying this. God can so vividly be seen in creation if you'll just simply look. But what men did is they stood up in their, in their uh, educational attire. And they stood up on their, their soapboxes in their teaching positions. And they said, I know it appears that God made this, but simply that's not possible. And they began to devise ways to teach others how God is not uh, the answer to why things that are unexplainable happen. People say that this, word, this earth just kind of busted into uh, uh, existence. Well, when's the last time somebody was hoping for an iPhone and it just simply appeared? And much more complex is our world than an iPhone, you understand. And yet that's what they're saying. Oh, just one day there was not, and then it just was. And they, they, they literally say, well, I'm much smarter because I don't have the crutch of a god. And I say, you're much more foolish because you don't explain anything that you say you believe. People try explaining God, and it never, never works out. One day a man was walking home from church. He heard the church bells ringing, and he looked up, and he saw a storm approaching. Soon enough, the storm was raining upon him and his family, and so they rushed into their home, and he went into his second-story overlook, and he watched as the storm dissipated and kind of went away. He then beheld over a harbor as the stillness after the storm. He could see the reflection of the other side of, uh, of the village, and he could hear the church bells still ringing. It amazed him how the thunder and the storm could happen, and then just in a moment of time it all be passed away, and, and, and everything be still and calm. As the church bells rang, he decided to write a poem, and this is the poem he wrote. O oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands hath made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. He was amazed, but he wasn't just amazed at creator God, he was amazed at savior God because he says this, and when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. He, uh, that on the cross, my burdens gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. What this man is trying to do is not explain God. He's in awe of the fact that God could do amazing things. What we have to understand tonight is when God moves in a church and when God moves in our life, we won't be able to explain it when it happens. It will just happen because God will do such an amazing thing. Long ago, uh, phone technology was really uh, kind of funny if you think about it. Remember when they introduced phones that could go in your vehicles? 
I remember the first mobile phone my parents had. It was about the size of uh, one of my size 13 Nike sneakers. Uh, It was huge, and my mom had to carry luggage around to fit hers in because they had antennas. I don't know if you remember, but the phone was about 8 inches long, and the antenna was about another 10 inches long. So you carried this enormous uh, phone, and we said, look at my cell phone. And it wasn't very mobile because you pretty much need a backpack to carry it. Now cell phone technology has gone places no man ever dreamed it would. I personally have iPhones. Uh, That's what I've had for quite a long time. This is not specifically an iPhone feature. Some of the other less spiritual phones are doing it. But uh, maybe you've seen it. It's the fingerprint identification. I love mine. In fact, I just recently purchased me a uh, camouflage case. You see the back there, it's kind of got some lime green on it. And the reason I purchased this one is because, first of all, if I wreck my boat again, it's waterproof. And second of all, because the fingerprint ID still works. Now, gone are the days when you actually have to enter in your passcode. You go, even my online banking, I don't even have to enter in a code anymore. You know, I just, I just tell my fingerprint, put my fingerprint right there, and it, it, it opens up to me. When I touch my fingerprint to my phone, you know what it's saying? That I am the owner of this phone. When my finger touches the phone, it shows my ownership. When I open up my bank account and I, I put my fingerprint on that uh, a scanner, it's saying that I have permission to access that because I am the owner of that. And my mom does too because we opened it when I was 11. Amen, mom? Remember that? So amen. But uh, uh, when I touch my fingerprint to my phone, it's showing that I am Andrew Wolfenbarger. You know what happens when God touches his fingerprint to the life of a Christian? It shows ownership. When God is able to stir you with his mighty hand, it shows that you're his child. I close with this question. When's the last time you felt God's hand on your life? Was it this past week at the revival? Boy, if it was, that's good news. Because that means God's still able to do unexplainable, unimaginable things in your life. But if it's been quite a while since you felt God moving in your life, boy, you need to ask the Lord what's limiting his hand. You need to ask God, why am I not seeing the miracles? Why am I not seeing? Oh, you may be wealthy. That's not what we're talking about. You may be comfortable. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is God giving you joy, peace, security, comfort. That's what I'm talking about. Do you have those tonight? If so, you're a child of God. But if God's hand isn't moving in your life, you ought to genuinely seek. Why not?